Happy Holidays from Sasquatch Chronicles. As our Christmas gift to you, we'll be releasing the full show to everyone. Please visit SasquatchChronicles.com for uncut audio extras, extended shows, and much more. It also makes a great gift for family and friends out there who are into Sasquatch. On tonight's show, we'll be talking with a gentleman who's an insider and has information you may not hear anywhere else. He has also had a personal encounter with these creatures, and I thought it was important to for people to understand why someone like this would come forward and share information. It's important to understand his mindset and understand what he's gone through. So tonight, I hope you enjoy the show. This is going to be a two-part interview, and we'll cover his encounter tonight. Thanks again for listening, and I wish you the best in the new year. And again, if you get a chance, please check out SasquatchChronicles.com. Have a great night, everyone. I hope you enjoy the show. this hill I had seen this creature cross the road. It would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wouldn't be a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. Look, it was given. Jesus Christ, you bet. Sir? Yeah. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh oh. Sasquatch Chronicles, a place where people share their encounters. Let's start the show. And what I wanted to start out with was um, asking you about your personal experience with these creatures. And uh, if you could maybe uh, tell us how long ago, was it one or more uh, events? It was a periodic series of events that lasted for nine years. Okay, well, let's start with the first one, the beginning. Uh, How long ago was that? 2001. Okay, I, I don't. We don't really have to give away the location. Um, I, I I like to 
protect people's privacy, you know, in uh, terms yeah, of those kinds of things. Yeah, I uh, talked with Wes about that quite a bit, and and really that has less to do with my not giving out the location as to the behavior of this individual. We'll forego the location then. And what I'd like to do is have you uh, tell us what you were doing that particular day when the first event happened and just sort of take it from there, uh, what happened, and, and uh, explain to us, you know, the details of the situation. And then take, take us through the successive um, encounters. Wife and I moved into a house in a, a area that was designed to be um, the future of um, you know, forest living. They had a, uh, it was designed, I guess, back in the 60s by some hippies that thought it would be great to have an area that would be a kind of a reserve and, you know, everybody would have their acre or two and they had properties as big as 200 acres within this area. Um, but the one thing that they designed into it was, so none of the houses were closed. They were all I would say five city houses, six city houses away from one another. But to the back of every house, they built in green belts um, because they wanted to have nature. There was no cutting of trees, no hunting, no anything in this area. And so, like, the green belt behind my house actually went for about 5,000 yards to a road. And uh, we moved in the house, and everything was fine. Uh, we moved in in May, and uh, my neighbor, you know, met all the neighbors. There was only four of them on our block, and our block was about four or five city blocks long. And, you know, it was pretty nice living literally right in the forest, deer, bear, mountain lion, uh, kid, fox. We, we saw it all, turkeys, the whole nine yards. We had a lake. Well, they called it a lake. I'll call it an overgrown pond. Um, about 250 yards northeast of our house that we would walk to through paths. There were trails all through this area. So even though it was a, a very large area, there was very, um, houses were kind of splattered all through it. It eventually went defunct and bankrupt and a group bought it and it kind of sits the way it is today. Um, very sparsely populated, but a lot of area for growth that just never took place. So in the, the fall of 2001, um, I noticed around hunting season, you know, that August, September, October timeframe, depending on which hunting season, there were always a large number of deer around. But during hunting season, it became almost a problem. Um, there were numerous times where I would see just driving to the end of my block, 20 deer. And I thought, wow, this is strange. And so I had asked my neighbor about it. And he said, you know, this has just started the last couple of years. And I asked him, I said, well, do you know what's causing it? And he said, no. And then uh, sometime around November, the mid no, 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 first or second week in November of 2001, um, we started hearing a lot of, I, I almost can't even, it wasn't animals, it wasn't people, yeah, they were noises, the dogs. The backside of my house 
I had three different streets above it. It's coming completely down a hillside. Uh, hillside. So I had three different streets that wrapped around the hillside above me. So it was almost kind of like a backwards J with this lake at the bottom of the hill and these paths going through these green belts. So all the people behind us going along the path, we would hear the dogs start barking about a mile away, just going absolutely insane. And then the next house would go, then the next house, then the next house, and then it would become stone quiet. Absolutely no noise. But once the racket down there, and when it was stone quiet is when this racket was going on, these noises, grunts, yells, funny words. Uh, I, you know, I heard different things, phrases coming out. And um, my neighbor, my closest neighbor, which was four properties away, his house backed up right to this path. He had two very big, very aggressive dogs. And whenever this would take place, those dogs turned into cowards. They would go hide under the deck. They wouldn't make any noise. And he was, you know, a big biker guy, Harley guy. And he came over to me. And he said, Gee, you know, Ken, did you hear all that stuff last night? And I, I told him, yeah. I said, what was it? And he goes, I don't know. He goes, I think maybe it was a bear or something like that. The next morning, at about 4 or 4.30, the racket would start from the opposite direction. It would start out the, the back of our house and start working its way towards us, would come back around this same trail. Now, this trail was an old logging road that had eventually, the plant life had grown over it. The biggest thing that you could drive up this path was maybe one of those Kawasaki four-wheel jobs. You couldn't pick a Jeep. You could walk people maybe two or three wide on it, um, but that's about it. There was a little seasonal stream there. There's always water down there and then a large number of deer. So all for the month of November that year, this happened, but it continued to get worse. And, and it stopped around the 1st of December, and I thought, oh, okay, didn't think anything about it. 2002, springtime, late March. It was, um, in fact, I know exactly when it was, a week before my cousin's birthday, so it was the last week of March. The whole thing started back up again. The deer started moving down around the homes. The racket would start at night. It would stop. It would last. This whole thing that was going on would take about 20 or 25 minutes for this thing to work its way through the area. I had no idea what it was at this point. And uh, again, in fall of 2002, it was even worse. Each, each progressive time, there was more noise, more racket. Um, I hadn't found anything odd at that point. We just, my neighbor was freaking out because he was hearing these noises literally right out his back door. Was this a particular time of day? Uh, it always started at night, and it happened again the following morning. Okay. And I had figured it out. It took me a long time to figure it out. Maybe I'm slow in the head. I apologize. But um, 2004, uh, I ended up 
the spring of 2004, I ended up having to have several operations on my ankle. I blew it out lifting weights and had to go to the doctor. This is kind of relevant to what how I found out what exactly what this was. He gave me a bolus of steroids to remove the swelling in my ankle after about a week after the surgery. I was supposed to be walking on it. I couldn't walk on it. So I was a irritable, grumpy bastard. And my wife made me stay in a, the guest room that faced the trail that was about, I'd say, 105 yards away out our window down a hill. I was laying in bed, and it was about 11, 11.15. I was agitated. I was watching TV. I don't know what I was doing. No, I wasn't watching TV. I had to, There was no TV in the room. I was just laying in bed, and I, and I all of a sudden started hearing this noise. And it was so damn strange. I was looking around. My wife's dog, which was in the room with me, got up and, and fled. The windows of my room started vibrating. And I, when I was seeing vibrating, they were dual-pane windows. I know I paid a bundle for them. And they were, I thought they were going to fall out of the uh, wall. And I kind of hobbled off the bed, and I could see outside my porch light. The front porch light was on, and I could see this. I don't know what they – Wes and I went over this today. It was an adolescent deer. It was one that was probably just released by its mom by a month or two, maybe three, you know, fall the, the, the year before, so maybe four or five months. It wasn't very old, and it was out on the, just to the edge of where it starts to drop off to this trail, that there's a bunch of very young, about a hundred fir trees that are all packed in this area. And it was just to the left of the fir trees and I could just see it. And this thing was acting strange. It looked like it was spazzing out. Its head was kind of twitching and bobbing. It was standing in one place. Its right front foot would lift off the ground, kind of shaking, and when it would go down to the ground, the left rear foot, so this, all of this was kind of taking place, and I'm looking out the window, and I've got my face to it, this window's vibrating, I can hear this low growl, rumble type thing, I don't know what you would call it, Kumbo in your second show that I listened to just last week nailed it. It went on, and I could see a very faint outline of shoulders and a head. The one thing I know about the forest, I've spent a lot of time in it, camping, the whole nine yards, hunting. Um, the one thing I know about the forest is you don't see straight, even, nice curved lines like that. And this deer was doing the funkadelic. This thing was standing about, I would say, 40 feet maybe behind it. And I could only see from about the chest up. It was extremely big, had no neck. I could just see the outline. Well, somewhere on a road up above us, and this whole time, everything's vibrating in my room. I was getting kind of panicking because I didn't have any guns in there. I'm laid up. I'm seeing this weird stuff going on. Sorry, I was almost going to sling something out there. And then somebody had slammed like a car door 
or a tailgate or something on a road way up above us, and it stopped instantly. And the deer kind of looked around and darted off towards the road parallel to my driveway. And I watched this top half of this thing turn slowly and just kind of go down the hillside. And I was, like, freaking out. And I had never heard a growl, rumble, thing like that before. The window shaking, the dog running out of the room, being immobile. And I'm not a cowardly guy in any way. I've spent my time in the service. I've been downrange, as they say. And I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was, I did, well, I'm tongue-tied now. So that's exactly how I felt then. And I'm feeling that it's weird. It's feeling the same way now. So the next morning, I iced my foot. I forced a boot on, got dressed. I grabbed my 357, and I headed down. I didn't hear anything the following morning. I headed down. It took me a long time to work my way down, had a cane with me, and I started going around to where the seasonal creek was. And um, I noticed two partial tracks, one on one side, which was the right heel, and the seasonal creek at that time was about 12 feet across. And I could see the toes and the front half of the foot on the other side where it touched down. So it had, in a single stride, made it across, only getting parts of its foot wet. Um, the heel was very big, very wide. I remember it was kind of stupid. I apologize. But I stuck my shoe in it, and there was a good two inches on each side of it. On the other side, when I hobbled across the creek and looked at the other one, I noticed there was a severe injury to the toes and to the ball of the foot. That's about all I could see. It was very deep where the ball of the foot on, on me would be. It was about three or four inches deep, but the rest of the partial track wasn't. The three toes, three smallest toes, were kind of twisted and moving to the left. The big toe and the one next to it were um, looked somewhat normal, but enlarged. I, I, I had nothing to compare it to, but they it just didn't look right. And this would be a common thing that I would come across. So I started like, well, this is this is huge. And I went down the trail a ways, and it was very intelligent. It would walk where there were leaves or brush or pine needles or things where it wouldn't leave tracks. But the other thing, if you didn't really pay attention, you would see one big footprint and wouldn't think anything about it because his other one was five and a half feet away. He had a stride. Ultimately, um, a few weeks later, I got a measurement and uh, kind of a half-ass measurement, and it was a little over 19 inches uh, of the good foot. Um, I started trying to figure out what I could do um, because the racket, the noise, the thing that was taking place during these times of year, and ultimately what it was doing is it was crossing through where we lived to go into a valley that was behind us um, that was a very specific forest that there was no hunting, no logging, no um, 
basically no use. It was kind of a thing that our state had decided that, you know, we're going to try this, you know, hippie biosphere thing. And it was going up and over to our area to get to this place. And it would do it a few times at springtime. Then it would go over the hill and then it would stay. And then in fall, when the weather started to turn bad, after the salmon started running, after the rivers were all full, um, it would start this slow kind of, I guess, migration back to the area that it was going to, which is another own kind of known area for Bigfoot activity. And both areas were that it was staying at were very unpopulated, virtually no homes in either area. It was just transiting through ours to get to the deer. So 2005 came along, and everything just got worse. 2005, springtime, we had a huge number of deer around our property. I, I mean, and when I say around our property, they were right off our deck sleeping. Six in a pack, other side of uh, the redwood trees, six in a pack. There were some out a little ways. You look at the, uh, I drive home, I see four or five around my neighbor's house, six or eight around another's. They were, they were all over. I knew it was starting. And um, I thought to myself, well, I want to see this thing. I get the bright idea that I want to see this thing. I had a, a, a good night vision um, set up. It's an older one. It's a, they call it a generation one and a half. But it's got very good vision. It's got good distance. It's got about a two and a half power um, magnification. And I found a spot on the top of the hill where there's J kind of bends right where the seasonal creek is. I decided I needed to be kind of smart. So I grabbed a couple weapons, got some extra clothes bundled up, you know, put some fire smoke out of our wood stove on me, rubbed pine leaves and pine brush all over me to try to cover my smell. And I went and huddled out there for about three hours one night. I had my night vision. If anything, I told Wes this earlier. I noticed the dog thing starting. I'd been out there about an hour and a half, so it was probably 10, 10, 15. And I noticed the dog thing starting. And, and the funny thing about it is when the dogs didn't know what it was, they were going nuts. But when it got close enough to figure out what it was, they would shut up. And all of them would shut up but one. And it was a great big huge pit bull that a lady had to protect her pot. This thing was huge. Well, this thing would go on. Sometimes I could hear her yelling from two, three blocks above me to let, you know, for it to come in because it was going nuts. I had my night vision out and I had it on and I had the infrared off on it and I was watching and lo and behold, here it come, walking in that weird, almost, the legs almost look like a cross-country skier. Yeah, they walk with their knees bent. It, it is the strangest thing, and it, it was dark towards the bottom. It was lighter on top. It, no neck, big wide. I'm a, I'm a big guy. I'm an ex-power lifter. 
you know, I used to, you know, 500 pound bench presses, 1,000 pound leg lifts, things like that. I'm a six foot four, 285 pounds, and I'm a menacing guy. I'm not a very pleasant guy when I get angry, and I'm sitting here looking at something that made me feel like an absolute pussy. This thing came walking towards me. I apologize for that, Shannon. Um, this thing came walking. It was about maybe 60, 70 yards away. It was just coming into view, and it already looked bigger than me. It, it You know, through the, the night vision. So I was trying to wrap my head around what I was looking at over the fact that it had no neck. It literally, its head was sitting on muscles. The one difference between everything that I've heard on your show and what I was looking at, it was wide, it was ripped, it was, you know, that V-shape, the strange walk, but he was thin. He wasn't big and bulky. He looked old, to be honest. And it, and it could be, and, and sometimes, you know, some of the very young and the very old, um, like in the springtime, haven't fed well through the winter. I've had reports of very, very thin ones, but it's but it's not often. This was springtime, and um, yeah, that's what I would expect. Yeah, and it was it was thin, it was bad tempered. Um, I watched it maybe five times that year either in the morning on its way back. At this point, the job that I had allowed me to have a lot of time off and uh, paid time off, which was kind of nice. I got about four months a year. And thankfully, both windows fell through most of it, uh, some of the time off. And um, I had watched it walk by. I had no clue I was there. I was very silent and everything. And it can just walked on. Now, the area that from where it came into vision and where it went out of my vision, I had a good amount of time to look at it. Um, it was favoring the left foot still. I had noticed that it didn't seem really occupied with anything that was going on around it. It just was walking through, just like it was had a purpose, had somewhere to go. About three or four mornings later, uh, my wife was gone for work. My daughter hadn't been born at this time, so I went out there early in the morning, and I camped out, and I wanted to see if it was going to come back the same way. Now, it always didn't take the same path. There were sometimes it would go back another way. Uh, sometimes it wouldn't come in our way, but would go back our way. But I started over time getting an idea of where it was traveling, judging by the dogs barking. Seems dumb. Those two times of year when these dogs, I mean, they went nuts when deer were around, but at night and in the morning, in those two time frames, it was insane. And um, about three or four mornings later, I'm out there. I'm behind a bush. I can't, I think I'm just the cat's meow watching this thing come by me again. And, and I remember thinking, you know, maybe I'm too close. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't have a rifle. I got all this stuff going through my head. I had a pistol with me at the time. And it walked by and it turned and it was now walking away from me and was going up this trail and I was losing it. And I hit that infrared button on mm -hmm. my night vision. It saw it, didn't it? It turned around in the blink of an eye. Oh. 
and it knew the area that I was in, and I could tell it was not happy. It already had a messed up, kind of messed up looking face. I couldn't ever see its face. I, you know, I don't think I ever saw its ears. It had very long hair, kind of grayish down the back, uh, light brown, brown in the front. But the gray hair on the back was very long, um, four or five inches. I, what I don't ever understand about people is they always say it looks like wool or fur. To me, it looked like hair. It didn't look like fur of any kind. That's what I would have said with my own encounters. It looked like hair. It didn't look like fur. Yeah. I always hear people, oh, it looks woolish and all that. And I'm like, are you looking at the same thing that I've seen? It's hair. I mean, it looked <laughs> like hair. But I never could see the ears. I and that's know. very typical. That's very really? typical. Oh, yeah. Mo the vast majority of sightings, nobody ever sees the ears. Now, I thought with the head being a big block, it was very blocky. Extremely pronounced jawline. Um, yeah, very heavy. I was going to say the ears, are, you know, we used to think, and they probably are, you know, probably smaller and, and set very close to the head, and they're covered with hair. Uh, I was starting to get little bits and snippets of it a little closer, and um, it stopped. He went over the hill, went over the top of the ridge, didn't see anything. A bunch of start, you know, a lot of people were talking about strange activity all year. When I would go into the gun store, people were talking about, you know, animals being torn up. You know, a pony got uh, its neck broke. And, um, but this was now all south of me. I thought, well, maybe it's him, maybe it's not. I, I didn't know who to talk to. I had started looking online. I started reading, and everything I read was all over the place. And this, by this point, it didn't seem to be bad. It just seemed to be passing through, except for the strange behavior, the noises, and the, the you know, occasionally throwing a tree or something, right? And the fall of 2005, it all changed. I don't know what it was with its demeanor. And by this time, I had been looking on all the other trails, the logging roads for tracks of another one, never found any anywhere except for the other path that he was using and uh, or a couple of other paths that he was using when he wasn't using the one close to my house. It was about 10 or so at night. We were, my wife and I were, I don't know what we were doing. We had the TV on in the family room and we started hearing this of a young deer just crying out. And I remember walking kind of out of the kitchen, into the, and we could hear this over our television. I mean, it was wailing, absolutely wailing. And I went out, and I turned the TV off or down. I opened up my front door, and I remember looking over at the clock, and I could hear this thing just wailing and wailing and wailing. It went on for over six minutes. And I thought, oh, my God. And, you know, we had these deer all around the house. The deer were all shifting away. They were all running, you know, away from the noise. And I thought, well, I'm not going down there now. And um, so I waited till well after sunup, um, about 8 or 9 o'clock, grabbed a rifle, pistol, headed down there. 
Um, took me a little bit to find it. I kind of knew the area very closely to where it was at, but it was right off the trail. And the game used the trail too. And um, its hind leg was ripped out of its socket so violently that it had tears in its fur on the inside underneath. I started looking more closely at it, and there was a big opening in blood right at the base of the neck. There was a great big, huge footprint right on its leg, its left front leg. It was laying on its right side. You could see a muddy footprint where this thing stood on its leg, grabbed its snout and the base of its skull, and pulled its head off. Mm. And the head was about, it was, I had, I had told Wes earlier, it was very similar to the pics from Oklahoma, except it was the hind leg, not the front. The leg wasn't broken. It was literally ripped out of the socket, like it had turned it all the way up, up over its back. And um, there was an opening. There was some insides missing. The head was, I don't know, 10, 12 feet away. Uh, there were a lot of birds, crows, ravens, all that stuff about nothing will ever touch the kill. There were flies on it and everything else, but it, it didn't take any, the, the whole deer. And that kind of puzzled me. And then I started worrying about, God damn it, I'm standing here. You know, if this thing's around, I didn't hear anything. It was kind of quiet. Yeah, so you wouldn't I be had, in a good place. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know, and I just remember looking at it at first, and then I got this kind of, panicky feeling and I, I pushed I knew which deer it was too it was the one that frequented our, our house it had a little notch in the top of its ear and I pushed it up underneath some brush I didn't because kids come through there sometimes in the afternoon or families I didn't want anybody finding it and it was visible from the trail um, and I left and then at night I heard a little bit of ruckus and heard some weird sounds and I had told Wes that it sounded like it was saying not or and it, it would then it made little short bursts of like anger noises and then it was quiet. I went back down the next morning, deer was gone, head was still there, uh, but the deer was gone and um from that point on it turned into crazy town. I called the BFRO after that, and I went through a whole bunch of, uh, uh, called the BFRO, had a bunch of back and forth. They wanted to come out and talk to me. I wasn't too keen about it, um, both for the reasons I'd stated to you guys. And um, so one person passed me off to someone else who passed me off to someone else. And then finally, someone called me from up in Eureka, and they gave me a name of a guy to call and told me to call him on a certain day. And I had stopped going down there or even trying to watch because the noises were becoming more insane. It was, you know, we were finding more debris, trees being pulled out and thrown, none of the twisting, none of the X's, nothing like that. It just seemed like anger stuff. And... So I called a guy on the day, and he asked me if I wanted to do an incident that he'd be willing to drive down. He told me his name was Jim. And then he proceeded to tell me about 
what an expert he was. <laughs> um, I've been on six expeditions. I've been on television. And you know, it started out squatch this, squatch that, squatch, 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 squatch. And at some point, I had to tell him to shut the F up. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but those people, those people crack me up. <laughs> well, honestly, I think it's that idiot that's on the TV show. His name was Jim. What's that idiot Dumbo? Oh, Bobo? Is that the guy? Is it, is it Bobo? Oh, yeah, because James is his full name, right? James Faye. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, I honestly, I think it was him. Because he was talking about all these expeditions, the fact that he'd been on TV, and mm. and I started telling him about the stuff that was happening and how it was kind of ramping up. I mean, I could tell it was ramping up, and um, and he, well, that's not normal squatch behavior, you know, the gun, and and you know, and I started telling. Him, I said, "Look, I said, there's a lot of people around here. There's kids. There's dogs. By this time, dogs were missing by droves. There were literally sign after sign after sign. We lost cats. Um, there would you would go to a telephone pole, and there'd be 30 missing pet things out there." They were going after the easy meals. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And by this time, its foot was healing up pretty good. Some of his tracks, it, it didn't have that deep impression. Its toes were still kind of messed up. Um, but after that point, I told him, I said, I'm sorry, I can't do anything with you. He goes, well, I was just down in your area, you know, a few months ago. And, and you know, some people were hearing calls and stuff like that. And I told him, I said, that's good. You should go down and talk to them again. Uh, I I can't do it. So um, it stopped sometime after that, and I kind of had given up on it a little bit. And I noticed um, the following season, it became more violent. And so I got the bright idea to call the sheriff's department. And um, at this point, I was getting concerned about going out there at any time. And um, because I didn't know if this thing, you know, we would hear him mostly after dark. And he was very intelligent. He knew the traffic patterns where we lived. And his movement through there started right after the second bit of traffic at night. 9, 9.15 would start over by the other side. And then it would slowly come and work its way around us and up over the hill. The next year. More, more of the, the, the cruel deer killings. I had started calling it Satan. Satan and Lucifer. It wasn't, I'm a hunter. My father put food on his table. He had to when he was young. And my dad preached to me, even when I was in the military, you go for a quick clean kill. You don't torture. You don't toy. It's not a game. This thing was toying with these things and we heard it more often than I could care. It, it still bothers me. I actually uh, remember standing there looking at one one time and I was crying. I was thinking to myself, why do this? And, you know, tearing it up. At that time, the big pit bull, the lady got it. You got to remember, this is a huge marijuana area. Everybody's got pit bulls, Dobermans, big aggressive dogs. There's people out with guns. 
not necessarily in around the homes. Some do. Um, the lady with the big pit bull came down to my house and told me that her um, dog was gone. And I had seen her before and talked to her before. She was putting up signs. She asked me to um, fight she had if I would call her. I told her, you know, there's a very good possibility that your dog's dead. And she goes, I know, but if you know, let me know. So I went in the house and grabbed a rifle, grabbed a pistol, flashlight. It was in the afternoon. I went down, started looking around towards where I saw most of the normal deer kills. Nothing. Went back over towards the seasonal creek, which was running. Again, both times a year it, it was running when this thing would come through. Um, up under kind of a little area off about 200 yards from the back of her house, straight down the hill, was her dog. And it was in pieces. And as far as I can tell, nothing was ate. There was literally a leg over there, a leg over there, a leg over there. It looked like it had been pulled apart. And I remember thinking, I never heard it. You know, we heard the ruckus at night. I heard, you know, her dog barking, but I never heard this thing get destroyed started calling the sheriff's office. I started telling them that there's some crazy man that's behind our homes. And other people were talking about it, too. It, you know, it wasn't like it was just me. But people were talking about some of the stuff we'd be walking. We stopped walking the trails. We would start walking down our streets. And I ran into people, and they were like, you know, and they would have guns with them when they never did before. So people understood that something was going on. I went and told their lady the lady about the dog that, you know, you might want to give it up. I had, I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to go down into it because it was a very kind of a crevice area with a lot of brush. And by this point, I had no faith or trust that I was going to walk out of there alive. Honestly, didn't think that I would be fine. Um, later that year, when it started back up, I started calling the sheriff's department regularly. By this point, we're up in late 2006, early 2007. The sheriffs came out. Uh, they could hear the ruckus. They kind of slowed down because the sheriffs had all their lights pointing down this hill in front of my house towards that area. And it kind of quieted down. And I told them, well, aren't you guys going to walk down there? And they both looked at me and they said, no, no. And I called them again. Again, and what I was trying to do was get help, you know, trying to get somebody to realize that this thing was down there without saying that it was a monster. Right. I get a phone call from someone at the sheriff's department saying that, you know, we don't think that this is necessarily a good idea that you keep calling like this because and I said, you know, I told him, why don't your officers ever go and check it out? Well, you know, we have better things to do, blah, blah, blah. So they gave me the name to the fish and game for our state. And I called the fishing game and I told them that we had a problem. They said the sheriff's department thought it might be a bear. So a guy comes out about a week later and then we're now into the, the fall time. He brings a bear trap, you know, one of the big tube things. Mm -hmm. And he's got a big steel tray in there full of dog food, bacon grease. And I don't remember what the other thing that he said that he used first night. I never, heard anything. I went out and looked at it the next morning. 
the whole tray of dog food was gone. Not spilled, not tipped over, gone. And it was the bottom half of a 55-gallon drum cut with two handles on it. And so I called the guy and I told him, I said, I think you have lost your bait. And he goes, well, they do knock it over. I said, no, it's gone. And he kind of got quiet. And he goes, well, I'll come out and see you in a few days. I'm over in this other area right now, and I don't have time to come pick it up. He came over and he picked it up, and he said, you know, this could be another problem, but he wouldn't really say. And so I started talking with him about it, and, and he said, you know, they have these problems over in this area and that area. And um, he goes, there's really not a lot you can do about it except for, you know, I, it's the same things that I was trying. I finally decided to get the bright eye idea to get rid of it. And I went out. It was late. I was kind of hanging out over uh, my my regular hidey hole. I saw it walk down the trail and go to the right of a big area of brush. And I watched that area, and I watched that area for about 20 minutes, and I thought, it's gone. I'm watching, and I'm watching, and I'm watching. Don't see anything come out the other side. Didn't hit my IR. I could see the pathway where we would walk. I thought, okay, well, it must be gone. So I walked down the hill very quietly, started walking down towards where this opening was. And, and there, there was about a two or three foot opening above your head where the brush didn't touch. And I had a good, very, very good view of this trail. I got closer and closer and closer, and I saw where it walked up to the right behind the shrubs. God, this is almost sick to my stomach. And I could see that what it's not there, and I'm kind of looking, and I've got my rifle in my hand. One hand, I have my night vision in the other, and I kind of look off to the left, and there he is. I dropped my night vision. I dropped to my knee. I raised my rifle up. I had the safety off. It was in a effing fraction of a second. I could see just the top of his head, about the most of the right side, eye, half the nose, the shoulder, you know, the mouth. It was less than five or six feet away from me, just on the other side of the shrubs that were on the opposite side of the trail. I have absolutely no idea how it got from one side of the trail to the other. It either climbed a tree or it jumped or it ran a hell of a long ways down where I couldn't see it and turn around and came back. And I've got my gun, and I had a Mini-30 with me. I had this barrel pointed at this thing, and it was kind of meaning towards me. And its head was kind of coming over the brush, and I could hear its hand working its way through the brush. I'm taking slack out of the trigger. I'm looking at it, and just as fast as it started, it turned and walked away. And I think the motion that it did with the leaning over and putting the hand through was letting me know this was going to be a mutually assured destruction scenario. I had a headshot. Could have very easily taken it. I could have dumped 10 of them in his head before 
it left. I went back. I went home. I was scared. Not going to go into the whimpering or changing the shorts moment, but it was pretty darn close. The only thing I think that ever scared me more than that was indirect fire. I went back around noon the next day (laughs) and couldn't find a way how he got from one side of the trail to the other. Are you sure it was the same individual? Oh, it was the same one. The gray hair, the gray, I, I was, I was so damn close to it. I, it was enough moonlight. Um, it was the same one. In fact, he had the, the same effed up left foot. Now, whether he walked on pine needles and walked a long way, you know, there's other options. I'm just not saying that he, uh, beamed himself up like Scotty and moved. Right. There's all kinds of things that happen out there. Yeah. There, you know, he did something. Clearly, that it was smarter than I. So he had known that I was there, obviously, off and on for a while. And he let me know that he didn't like it. He didn't make a noise other than leaning kind of over so his head could get closer and his head was messed up. I told Wes earlier that um, I think we Down syndrome was kind of the thing that we came up with. Didn't have the pointy cone head, though. But I can tell you close how tall he was. I'm six foot four. When I reach up and touch my nine foot ceiling, my fingers are bent about, eh, I got another three inches to go. He was every bit of that, if not more. Head was very kind of blocky, almost looking very, very pronounced jaw. The eye was kind of, I don't know. It was black. Nose looked like a seven year old Michael Jackson that had been punched 20 times. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, um, it had the long gray hair, had some hair kind of hanging towards its eyes and it had hair up on its cheeks, but you could see its eyes and its eyes were kind of far apart when he kind of turned and bent over. They seemed unnaturally kind of far apart. They didn't seem close. Yeah. It's different than human proportions. Yeah. It was very odd. His head easily bigger than mine with a helmet on. Yeah, they're massive. I didn't see the air. No air. It was covered with either with hair. But, I mean, there wasn't even like a, you know, uh, something sticking out like where the air would be. It was weird. Yeah, they lay pretty close to the head. So, it it left. 2008 came. We had huge fires in our area. A lot of things, strange things started happening, but I also noticed more people were complaining in other areas. So I was getting the impression that this thing wasn't leaving our area as much and was just going for whatever it could get. We had an idiot BFRO person that was associated with him. I don't know what she did that was close by us that started was leaving apples, big bags of apples, old apples out there. Um, the dog thing continued. Um, <clears throat> by this point, it was it was now coming closer to the homes. It wasn't sticking to the trails. Um, late 2008, after most of the fires, we had a lot of fires around. There were several sightings all over the county during that time. The lady that had moved in, which would be across the street from us, she was still quite a long ways away. She was... Uh, Six months pregnant, just starting to show really good, had that nice little bump out. 
she came screaming out of her house one night that there was a man in a tree looking at her in her house. She had a kind of English Tudor style two two story job, big deck, steep hillside, and she was I heard her and instantly grabbed a, my rifle, went out, and I went down to the street and I, I told her, Don't go back to your house, dial nine one one, see what it is. So I walked down to her house and I looked and I could see him coming out of the tree. She thought it was a man wearing a fur coat or a fur jacket of some kind. And he went down the tree. The tree was probably a 180-year-old redwood, so it was probably 200 or so, close to 200 feet tall, maybe it was a little older than that. It went down that tree like a squirrel, like a squirrel. He was so far up in the top of the tree that the tree was slain. And he's shimmy down this thing and was gone. So at this point, I know he knew who I was, and he damn well knew I knew who he was. Sheriff showed up. They went down there again. They saw me, weren't happy, wouldn't go down. Ended up calling the sheriff a few more times. My neighbor lost both his dogs. People down the street lost their dogs. Called the sheriff's. One time when it was going berserk, the neighbor that lived next to me that had lost the dogs had moved out. This was 2008. We're getting up around 2008, 2009 now. Huge crush, stock market crash. A lot of people were overinflated on their homes. And literally half of this neighborhood I lived in was empty. And um, that just made things worse. But it made it easier for me to go poking around. And I went around the back of my neighbor's house, and I would sit back there and watch it. But the good thing was is I was a lot better hidden. At this point, it was it was having bag lady moments. And I'm not kidding. It would walk. It would stop. It would fling its arms around and <laughs> make these noises and walk off. And a lady the following winter, now the deer thing is a steady thing. The deer were being found fairly regularly, um, still kind of migrating. But the following winter, um, this time my, my daughter had been born and I was spending more time with my wife and kids. I was waiting to take my daughter to see um, a specialist. And we were parked down at the end of the road. It was really icy and we, and we were waiting for the ice truck to come by. There's light snow on the ground. It was about six, still dark. And she was sitting in her, her child seat in the back. And I see him standing out in the middle of this road, waving his arms at a car coming down the hill. The lady actually crashed her car. It went off the, on the side towards the edge of the lake. And she was sitting there looking out the window with this thing waving its arms. And then it just turned around and walked off. And it was all icy and everything. And I, I thought, well, I think I'm going to head home and call the doctor and tell him I'm coming because we had a long drive ahead of us. And I went home and took, the, took my daughter home. And this stuff was started happening in so many places. I started noticing I went to a little market that was in our area. And I kid you not there were 250 missing pet signs up there. So not Good only was he, 
doing this where we live, but he was going other places when we didn't see him. I don't know if it was in the daylight, if it was whatever, but he would at times, when he went over the top of the ridge late at night, I, by this time, I'm now driving around at night trying to figure out where he's going. And I figured out, for the most part, where he was coming from and where he was going to. He'd go over the top of the ridge, and he'd go over this valley behind us that was empty. The only thing that runs out there is a set of railroad tracks that are only used for seasonal train ride stuff. He would go out, he would go about two-thirds of the way down the hill, and he would let out a scream that I promise you was her 20 miles away. Just a gut. And the funny thing about it, it was deep, but yet it had high notes in it. Just a ripping, and it would go on for about a minute and a half, and then it would walk on down into that valley. So we started having a lot of other problems in this area at the time. We had a lot of people move in that were more pot growers and grifters and uh, the seasonal pot people were coming in. Some people, a couple of people actually came up missing. Um, the sheriffs finally told me, the last thing that they told me was, don't call us unless somebody's being killed. Don't ever call us again. And wow. When That's kind of their job to respond. Yeah. No, I, I kid you not. They told me, don't call unless somebody's dying. And I told them, so can I take the law into my hands at this point? And I told them I wanted that in writing, which they never did. But I called twice more. They never responded. But the guy the night before that I had called on that, there were two of them showed up. And one of them had been there four or five times before. And this ruckus was going on down there. And you could hear it. You were just, and you could hear shit breaking. You could hear stuff being thrown. I told him, I said, are you going to go down there? I said, if you'd like, I could go up to my house and grab a gun and I'll go down with you. They go, no, we don't need to. We have a pretty good idea where it's going to come out at. Oh, interesting. Mm. And I said, it? He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, and he's, they're got their, their spotlights done going down the hill just like they did before. Um, you know, they were, I could tell they didn't want to go down there. They knew exactly <laughs> what they Yeah, I, 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 and to be perfectly honest, I didn't want to go down there. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, know three of us, <laughs> I thought with three of us, I might have a little bit bigger balls, but um, I, I didn't. They left, and I heard them drive up to the street above us, which had better visibility down into the valley, uh, down to this area. But they left, and then I got the call the following day that, that I was never to call them again unless somebody was dying. So many things happening in the area, both with this and with, you know, these these strange people coming into the area. Like I said, a couple of them disappeared. They had a lot of disappearances during the last few years that we lived there. And the reason why the police never really made a big deal out of it is a lot of the seasonal help for the, the pot comes from other places. There are people from other places coming up looking to just be part of the pot business. And um, so uh, there were flyers, you know, guys from San Jose, Texas, Seattle that, you know, hadn't returned home, 
but nobody, you know, it never made the news. It was never talked about. There was just these missing persons flyers. So I found a guy that would give me information or would talk to me about it. And um, this kind of happened a few years before. It was in um, 2005. And I didn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this. I talked with Wes about it a little bit, but I, I kind of just decided to because this guy helped me out a lot, even though he's dead now, but he helped me out quite a bit. He was a, he was a pot farmer. He had several hundred acres in a, in an area that was very remote, very steep, heavily wooded, very difficult to get to. He had a cabin that he had built that was very, very well built. And he had been doing this for a number of years. He was a wealthy man. I don't know why he continued to do it. He owned a million-dollar home over on the coast, or actually a multi-million-dollar home. But it's just what he did. He got burnt by the government, and he wanted to kind of burn him back, I guess. I had found him through a friend. And in 2005, I went and met and talked with him. Obviously, he's very paranoid. He literally spent six or seven months a year watching his crops, hundreds of acres of pot. Uh, and it was intermingled, you know, down the hillsides, water system, um, forest, can't be seen, you know, very secretive. These guys are very, very good at this stuff. I talked with him quite a bit about it, and he told me, he said, you know, I've had my problems out here. And he goes, I have problems out here to this day. And he had told me that several years before that, in the late 90s, 98, 99 time frame, um, he started getting harassed. He said, and it started out a lot like a lot of your um, listeners, banging on a cabin, a rock here and there, and he had rapidly escalated. Yeah, the situations ramp up. Yes, and he told me this, and this is where I got the only little knowledge I have about the situation now. He told me, he said, that if you ignore them, they may not ignore you. Or they may. I looked at his, he showed me his cabin, and it was about 20 by, not even that, maybe 16 by 18 or 20 with a little loft. He built the loft after his first major incident, which I'm going to talk to right now. He, um, in the late 90s, started having a problem with one that was about seven to eight feet tall, and he doesn't know how it started. The thing seemed to be fixated on his cabin. And it would come around. Now, the cabin only had two windows. And they were east and west. So sunlight in and sunlight in the evening. The rest of the time, he was out tending the stuff. He had a generator buried underground uh, in a 20-foot container unit with all of his supplies and stuff. And he was very, very heavily armed. Um, those guys have to defend their crops, and they do it, and they will kill you. And um, he was dead serious about it. He was ex-military, and, you know, he made a lot of money. He told me he made six or $700,000 a year cash. I asked him what happened. He said, well, this it just continued to the point where small things. And, uh, you know, the banging, 
and he'd be out during the day, and a rock the size of a grapefruit would fly by his head. He wouldn't know where it was coming from. And then, so he started getting kind of panicky, and so what he noticed is it was late in the afternoon, all night, and in the morning, and he was becoming extremely paranoid. And he had built on the inside of his front door was made with two-by-fours. And it was literally blocked in with two-by-fours, and it was the most solid door I've ever seen. It had an old-fashioned iron latch on the inside and had a rope that went up under the eaves to the top that you could barely see where he would pull it to open it. He had a, about a four- or six-by-six six opening in the door that he would put a two-by-four behind where he could look out at his crops because his cabin was right at the top of the hill and he could see right down the hill. This thing got to banging on the house, and it was multiple at a time, single at a time. He, he was getting to the point he was now drinking because he was paranoid and scared. He was drinking a lot of alcohol. Finally, he hears a big commotion at his front door, and he takes this two-by-four off this little peephole that was about four-by-six, and literally was a hole. There was no glass, no nothing. And he opens it up, and he sees the back of a head out his front door. And all he said, he sees his hair. And by this time, he had seen him several times. And he took a three fifty seven, shot it promptly in the back of the head. And it dropped right there where it was, was standing. It was a bunch of commotion outside. Um, he didn't go outside. He didn't do anything. The next morning, he found it laying out there. Um, he couldn't move it. He said he was, became kind of distraught when he rolled it over because of how human-looking the face was. When I told him the one that I saw, he said it didn't look like that. He said it looked very human. And it, it bothered him. And it bothered him to the point that, you know, he started drinking more. He eventually died a few years after that, or a few years after I talked to him in 2005. But it, um, he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't want it on his property because of the fact that it looked so damn much like a human, except for big and hairy. He had to take a chain and wrap it around its legs and drive it down the road, and he dumped it in the river. And he said it went about 100 yards down the river, and it got hung up on some rocks and a couple, you know, log snag type of stuff. And he said it was there all the, that day, that night. And he said it wasn't going to become unsnagged. He figured somebody would find it. Other pot farmers would talk about this stuff. The next morning, it was gone. And the next morning, his problems became worse. So he would be stuck in this place all summer, drinking, trying to keep his paranoia in check. He eventually went and bought a 50 BMG bolt-action rifle because things came so bad. And when I saw him, he had at least 20 weapons in the house, everything from H&Ks, but the, the 50 BMG I saw, and he said about six or eight minutes later, he shot a second one with that from the roof of his cabin because they would not leave him alone. Um, his crop came in. He never touched that. He doesn't know if it died. He didn't, you know, he said it kind of went down the hill and was tumbling. But anyone that knows a 50 BMG round, I doubt it got up. Yeah, 50 cal is pretty serious. 
Yeah, and he showed me the bullets. And he was using 600 grain bullets, and um, he 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 died a couple years after that. I actually bought some of his guns, but he he kind of told me a lot about what they do, and and he said if they decide to fixate on you, you're in trouble. And he told me to kind of try to let it go as much as I could. But with the problems that I was having in my neighborhood, my wife and I had finally, because we had a daughter, she was very young. Everybody on our street was now pot growers. And uh, we had other bad behaviors going on. People were now shooting, most likely at this at night. We could hear it more frequently. Its behavior became more deranged. And so my wife and I just decided in 2011 to leave. And we left. That wraps up part one of our two-part interview. To get a chance, visit us at SasquatchChronicles.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great night.